Rebecca Biscuit. I am very well. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you too. And thank you everyone for joining us for another Gig It Up podcast. Yes, Gig It Up is the podcast, a unique podcast, one of its kind, where we watch concerts that are available on open source video sources like for example youtube and we uh, watch them we talk them we talk about them we dissect them we go in on their cultural impact we go on in on cultural aspects we go in on a lot of stuff and um, so that is what we are doing today and we are looking at oh it's a different one for today uh, because we've been talking about doing abba for a while uh, but we mm-hmm. are doing abba the movie which yes. is, their words, a docudrama from 1977. It's sort of the Hard Day's Night of ABBA, um, if anybody's a fan <laughs> of the Beatles film Hard Day's Night, which I'm a massive fan of. Okay, um, how does it compare? Mm, let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason that we are doing ABBA the movie as opposed to a straight-up gig, which is what we would normally do, is because there aren't really any straight-up gigs available uh, I presume for copyright reasons. Yeah, there is um, a uh, uh, Abba. Uh, there's a DVD called Abba Live in Concert, which is available, which um, was quite recently released. I think in 2014, um, from their 1978-79 tour. Yeah, but um, yeah, that is not open source, and so we're not going to talk about it. Um, and it's not really available on YouTube. So we're talking about this, Abba the Movie. Abba the Movie, so... readily available on that very incredibly legal site, 123movies.china, <laughs> or whatever yes. it was. But it's out there. <laughs> oh, whatever it you is want. out there. Yeah, it's also... <laughs> you will find it if you look hard enough. And it is also available, I think, on Netflix and Amazon Prime. If you would like to pay some money to watch it in, not, H- not HD, because it's... Old, I but... wouldn't bother, but um, you can. But however, oh, oh no, my ring light fell. So, oh no, oh no, my tech is falling apart. Oh god, wait a second, because we're doing this on video as well. I must be one of the only people who emigrated with just a suitcase, basically fl- fleeing the country, but still managed to get a ring light in my bag. Priorities. <laughs> Yeah, so Abba the Movie, uh, available on Netflix and other things. And yeah, as I said, we've watched it so you don't have to. That's pretty much the summary of this podcast. Are you, Nick, an Abba fan in general? Yes. Okay. And I will tell you why. (laughs) I do really love Abba. Mm -hmm. I think that they... um, Obviously, they're, they're massively kitsch and there's that element to them. So I think that, that they work on different levels and that is an achievement because they are both something that you can slap on a wig and dance around in some in some flares to and have a lovely time. There's also, you know, there's they've got that interesting Swedish introspection going on. So I think they are, there's a lot of contradictions there. I also, um, so I've had quite a long-standing love affair with Sweden itself. You have, um, haven't you? You've performed in Sweden a yes, number of times. I've performed in Sweden quite a few times, including, would you like my, would you like my favourite Swedish performance story? Or yes, shall we, please. Shall I hold it? So, I was in Stockholm performing at Stockholm Fringe Festival with my show at the time, um, which was going well, and I was loving doing that there. Um, And I also got booked to perform in a... um, I did S&M club. (laughs) (laughs) So for one of the nights I was there, I got booked to perform at an S&M club. And the performance that I did was that I was in a kind of tent situation not it wasn't like kind of a camping tent but it was kind of I'd sort of created this kind of installation moment Mm -hmm. um and basically people could come and write on me whatever they wanted so I was like nude in this tent thing and people have a canopy tent it was like a canopy it was Mm -hmm. it was a canopy without canopies (laughs) they did not there was no rider involved um and so I'd done a bit of a makeup look. I was in this canopy, no canopy, uh, <laughs> and the idea is that people come in and 
and tell me a secret they could write on me. So that was mm. like the sort of, I think, the basis of the performance art piece. Um, and because it was Sweden, people at first wrote lovely things. So first, it started being things like saying things like, oh, you're a lovely blue-lipped angel, people would write. Or like things like, oh, I just love to express myself. So it was just like people yeah. write lovely things. Lovely, friendly start. Swedes writing yeah. nice things. And then, and then it gradually, as the night got on and things got a bit saucier, although I have to say not that much saucier, um, it, um, it, it got more and more filthy. So eventually I ended up basically entirely covered in um, Swedish swear words and filthy statements. <laughs> which was I was delighted by. Yeah. Um, but also there was like a dungeon room that, that was lit by candles and things. And there was there was a drag queen there who was sort of also doing this kind of S&M act. Uh, 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 he was leading around this this boy on a... Or she, sorry, she was leading around this boy on a... Um, on a, a lead. Dog, dog lead? A, a dog lead. And the boy kept going to me, I don't, I'm not really into this, I'm a soccer twink. <laughs> As the drag queen was like pouring hot wax on him, and he was like, oh. "Was that um, a cry for help, or he was just telling you?" He was just telling me. I think yeah. he just wanted to be clear that this wasn't really his gig. Right. Um, and at one point, the drag queen, we went, we we were kind of, we were like, "Oh, let's go for a walk and have a look around," because we were, we, it was getting late. Mm. And um, we went into the dungeon room, and the drag queen said, "Oh, this is like." This is like yoga for people who like slapping each other. Because <laughs> it was just all very quiet and sedate. Oh. <laughs> um, anyway, so I was covered in all these uh, stuff. And I, so I was staying at a youth hostel mm-hmm. that had been Swede, a prison. So it was on an island in Stockholm, which is made up of islands. Yeah. Um, but the only thing on this island was this former prison, which was now a youth hostel. Yeah. I suspect that when it was a prison, they had more space because there were, I think there were six or maybe eight beds in the one cell. Probably that wasn't cell. the case. Where still they were, a cell, yeah. is it? They were still cells with the, with the dungeon door, with the, like, the door, what? the cell door. So I arrived home at like four in the morning or something back at the back at the youth hostel, and I thought I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go and get changed. Uh, I'm gonna wash off and then go to bed. And then I thought, oh, I can't. So I went into the basically went into the changing room, the um, bathroom, stripped off, and then thought, oh, gee, you know what? I can't be bothered to shower. I'm just no one's gonna wake up and see me. I'm just gonna. So I so I then went into my room mm-hmm. again. I think. Well, I think I was wearing, probably wearing like some some pants. Um, opened the kind of like cast iron door. Yeah. It creaked. Everyone in the room sat up and gasped and stared at me standing there, covered in Swedish swear words, with with like a face full of like strange running makeup. And, and I'm just kind of, I think I just went, go to sleep, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Just went back and then just crawled into bed and slept for 12 hours. You're the only one that slept that night, Nick. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Everybody else was awake. (laughs) They were shivering in the corner of the room, keeping guard for each other, taking turns to keep guard while I was snoring away. So that was my Swedish performance story. Oh, what a delightful tale of Sweden. And I think it says so much. Uh, uh, Let let us wildly generalise about the Swedish nation now. I think it says so much about uh, their accepting uh, nature and their Yeah, oh, it's lovely. I would highly recommend going to Stockholm. It's gorgeous. I've never been to Sweden. Um, I would recommend it highly. I also, it's beautiful, um, it's lovely, and I don't know if you've ever seen the film Midsummer, which is one of my faves. Um, but I haven't seen it, but you, I have ha- you did describe it to me in detail, which is another one of my favourite things to do, is not watch films, but just have you tell me about them. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I was going to do a show called Nick Tells You What About the about Various Films. Yeah, you, but... what's that one that they made before Midsummer that you like to tell me about with, um, with uh, Tony Collette? Oh, um, in her- uh, Hereditary. Hereditary. You do Hereditary. I mean, I've never seen it, but brilliant justice. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my ring light just collapsed again. Um, anyways, um, yes, if you've seen the film Midsummer, basically, I think that sums up a lot about Sweden brilliantly, because there is a bit of a side to it that's a bit, I think, a little culty. Um, but... Uh, 
personally, I would join that midsummer cult because yeah. there's, it's only every 99 years they ritually sacrifice people, and I think that those are good odds. Sometimes on a hangover day, me and my friend Claire Nolan would Google good cult to join <laughs> because sometimes you just want to be told what to do. And what the, the best cults? Oh, there was often a cult um, that comes up quite a lot. Well, they're, frequently they're not cults, they're more... Um, like a sort of sex party mixed with like a business degree where you pay. Mm-hmm. They're sort of um, a lot of cults now. Like they've become, they've been, they started in the sixties as sort of uh, spiritual practices, and then they became sexy. And then in order to become more accepted, they become self help, a self actualization business uh, cults where you pay money uh, to get people to help you achieve uh, your dreams okay. but while yeah. you're there they convince you to pay for one of your friends to also achieve their dreams and right so right, right 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 yes um, so it's i mean like i've thought about the harry krishnas i mean they're not very queer friendly the harry krishnas oh no i, and I think we've talked about one. this before but i do love lentils and we do love music so <laughs> it's an option yeah they you know it is an option <laughs> um let's talk about okay. Let's talk about ABBA, from cults to ABBA, and actually I don't think there is... I think that that's a good segue. It's not a huge leap, is it? It's not a huge leap, particularly <laughs> apparently in Australia in 1977. OK, so yeah, so what we're watching now... Um, Nick, you're a fan of ABBA. Me, I'm not yes. so much a fan of ABBA. There are a couple of tracks I like. My dad hated ABBA, and I inherited a lot of my music uh, prejudices from my dad's music taste, so I've oh. never really liked ABBA. Um, the one... Sorry, can I just say musically, the one thing that I think is really great about them as well mm. is that they are kind of disco blended with Swedish folk. And I think that's a really interesting combo. Yes, I've watched a lot of, um, I watched two ABBA documentaries back to back, followed by Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia 2 in the research of this. <laughs> and they talked a lot wow. about the backgrounds, the separate four backgrounds of the four uh, musicians and songwriters, because the women were also songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and they come from uh, Swedish folk, you're right, which is related quite a lot to the German folk, which I think is called Schlager or something similar to that. I, no, no, no. I don't think they are related. Mm. Like Schlager, honestly, is like the worst pappy music. It's like umpa music, right? Yes, they're related. They're definitely related. In fact, I've been there's a scene it, I, in which they're doing Schlager in this movie. Yes, there is. <laughs> but I don't think that Swedish folk music is Schlager. Okay. I know Schlager well because I've been to a naked Schlager party. Oh, please, why didn't you invite me? (laughs) (laughs) And it's literally what that involves is... (laughs) Umpa in every way. It's umpa music. It goes umpa, umpa, umpa. Everyone does a knees up dance while drinking big, big flagons of beer. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're nude. Yep. So so there's another aspect, you know, so that adds an interesting (laughs) other aspects but um anyway so that's schlager swedish folk music on the other hand is very introspective often very dark often talking about um uh, life and um kind of a melancholic relationship to nature and life and um and with lots of harmonies yes lots of really beautiful tight harmonies and that is something that i think is really key to abba's music I really appreciate that in ABBA. I love to listen to harmonies. I love to I love to sing in harmony. If uh, if someone tells me what to sing, Um, (laughs) yeah. So I can I agree with you there. I really appreciate that in ABBA's music. But I'm not. uh, I'm not a lifetime fan. So I'm going. I'm not going into ABBA the. But I was going into ABBA the documentary, the movie, 1977, with excitement. I was looking forward to it, especially when you told me some gossip about uh you know a lot more about abba than me uh agneta marrying her own stalker and him freezing her urine um that i thought there would be a sort of fleetwood mac um vibe going on maybe in this movie where they all started Mm -hmm. to fuck each other who knows (laughs) but not so much (laughs) almost no come on in that dream sequence but we'll get to it yes um put a pin in that um also, of course, there's been, you know, there's been a resurgence of ABBA through um, Mamma Mia, for example. And I was very surprised to find that my young nieces and nephews all adorn ABBA and know them very well now through um, th- 
through Mamma Mia. Through Mamma Mia. And that through and possibly friends. from Cher's album. Not through Cher. Uh, relate, uh, Cher released, uh, Cher released a, an ABBA album. Yes. Shabba album at the Shabba. same time as Mamma Mia 2, which Cher... If I had to do the same again, <laughs> I would, my friend, Fernando. Oh, my God. If anyone hasn't seen Mamma Mia 2... Cher plays Noel Streep's mother, even though she's seven years older than her, <laughs> and shows up for about five minutes. And it's Mamma Mia too, so they've run through a lot of ABBA's hits by now. And you're just sat there thinking, what's she going to do? Because we've heard Relevoo, we've heard SOS. And then Cher, in all white, turns around and sees a man. And you're like, oh, no, please don't. <laughs> and Cher goes, Fernando? Ah! <laughs> 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 like, no! <laughs> That's how they managed to squeeze another hit in, and then she sings Amazing. about this man who conveniently is called Fernando. <laughs> which has, which is actually a song about a revolutionary. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's about um, I can't remember which, but it's about maybe it's the Spanish Civil War. Huh. I can hear the drums, Fernando. That's my share impression there. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> Fernando. Oh, I can't Fernando. wait. I can't wait yeah. to do a share gig. Oh. Be amazing. We're going to go there. We are going to go there. Um, the other thing that my cousin, my nieces and nephews really are into is friends. Yeah, friends because will not of, die. Because of, <laughs> because of um, Netflix. It was Netflix. on Netflix. Did yeah. I ever tell you about the time I met the cast of Friends? No. Yeah. I went to... Please you remember when the, <laughs> Please Do you remember me. when they went... To, you remember when they came to London, where they did an episode where they came to London? Yeah. I went to the filming of that very show. On purpose? So I was in the audience watching it. Um, so I, I got to see them all Did performing. you go on purpose or were you paid I did go on purpose. No, I did go on purpose because a friend of mine worked at the, worked at the studio. So... Um, so I went along. For How was reason. it? It was kind of amazing to watch, you know, because they had this big audience. Um, it was. It went on for hours. It went on for hours and hours and hours. It was such a long day of filming. I'm, you know, I mean, they worked so hard. Do they refilm uh, the same thing over and over and over? Again? Over and over and over again. So there's a reveal where it turns out that. Monica is sleeping with Chandler mm -hmm. and they'd actually put up barriers the first time they did it they put up they'd kind of hidden it so that it would be fresh <gasps> so so the audience kind of were like oh my god when they saw this moment wow. but they had to film it several times and they kept saying to the audience can you like keep it fresh and pretend you haven't seen it before and um I think by the third by the last time everyone went uh, <laughs> when it do happened they, do they film every episode of Friends in front of a live audience I think a lot of it, yeah. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, God, I never even thought about that. It was really fascinating to watch. I freaked out Jennifer Aniston because I was staring at her so much. <laughs> <laughs> we, had eye, we had eye contact and she kind of did this thing where she went, ooh, and looked I, at the floor and I was like, ooh, I freaked out Jennifer Aniston. I, I like Jennifer Aniston. I love... She's great. Courtney I love Cox, all, Courtney Cox was like... She wasn't there for anyone else who wasn't in the cars. She mm -hmm. she kept she kept like people kept trying to talk to her guest performers. Yeah, I think Tony Conti was one of them, and she was just like, <laughs> no, <laughs> just a bit like that. Um, what's his face? Chandler was very nice and kept running into the audience and talking to everyone and being very sweet. Um, David Duchovny is that the other one? No, he's in the X Files. Oh, well, who's the one who plays Ross? Ross. Ross. He had a minder and he was very, like, he just wouldn't kind of, he, he was very sort of distant from the whole thing. Yeah. Chandler was really the one who was kind of keeping everything going. He was, he was probably kind of hyping, high. No offence. He was but... hyping the crowd. And I remember at one point they bought pizza for everyone in the audience. And because by the time we left, it was about 2.30am, they also bought, got taxis for everyone in the audience. What? They must have had such a massive, insanely huge... Um, Budget. But yeah, it was definitely an experience. So oh, yeah, I got to see. So I got quite a lot of cred with my nieces and nephews for that. Would you say ABBA are the friends of the music world? I don't know because I think Friends has not aged well and I don't quite understand why. I'll tell you what hasn't aged well. ABBA, the documentary that we're <laughs> about to watch. All right, let's get into that. Sorry, I sidetracked <laughs> into Friends. Let us get into 
ABBA the movie. No, perfectly segued. I am now on a theory. ABBA are the friends of the music world. Friends are the ABBA of the sitcom world and neither have aged well. I think ABBA, the music has aged brilliantly well, which is why it's still pop so popular. That's, yeah, okay. They still, they the, still sound great. They still sound the great. The only one that maybe hasn't aged well is the kind of slightly underagey songs. Does your People know? used to die really young in the 70s. You know, you died at like 45, 50. You had to get stuff done early, didn't you? Come on. <laughs> the life expectancy wasn't the same back in 1977. Okay. Right. It, didn't mean the, it didn't mean the same thing to want to shag a teenage girl. Because... Great. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to absolutely cut that. So, hello. <laughs> Back into Abba the movie. <laughs> we are not going to cut that. <laughs> um, Back into Abba right. the movie. <laughs> okay, so Abba the movie, it begins with lovely a images. A donkey. Images of the Australian outback. Yes, I didn't know what was going on here for a while because they showed a donkey for a while, which is not necessarily a big... A native Australian animal. No. I was like, here's a cow again. We could be anywhere. But in that time, I did decide if I ever get married, I do want to arrive on a donkey. Um, <laughs> but then we see a kangaroo. Huge, huge so news. You know. Yeah, I've seen a kangaroo in real life. Have you seen a You've been to Australia as well, haven't you? I've been to Australia, yeah. You yeah. know what you'd never want to happen? You never want to drive into a kangaroo. Yeah, I've Because they put their feet through the, um, the windscreen and then that's how you die. Not through but the I, crash. You might want to watch a kangaroo make love, which I did at a kangaroo sanctuary in Adelaide this Hello. year. Hello. And was, how was that? It lasted a long time. It was me. And <laughs> this is just <laughs> pre-pandemic. Louise and I were on tour in Australia and we went to have a look at some animals. And mm. a cruise ship of people had also arrived in Adelaide. And me, Louise, and an elderly couple watched these mm. kangaroos make love for about when 10 minutes. you say watched? Watched. Did we you, just, like, <laughs> see it and go, oh, dear? Or did you, like, think, OK, we're going to watch this out? We just sort of started happening and uh, <laughs> none of the four of us left. And we just thought, let's just sort of silently watch them. <laughs> That's quite strange. <laughs> was it an erotic experience? It's, it wasn't not an erotic experience. <laughs> Cut that. You, no, we're absolutely not. Do you know which animals like sex the best? Which animals like sex the best? Tortoises. Really? They uh, they love it. What oh, survey well, have they filled out? That's actually not strictly true. A lot of animals really like sex, but they make a lot of noise. I right. we're cut that as well. <laughs> anyway, so all the animal sex stuff is going to get cut. Okay, so we... Uh, we Meet the main protagonist in many ways, or the narrative drive of this movie, Ashley Wallace. He's a lonely truck DJ. Yeah, so the concept of this uh, movie is that it's ABBA play themselves, but mm. there is an actor playing this character who is a lonesome country music DJ who DJs mm. from, as we've seen in this opening scene, I think midnight until the morning. <laughs> yeah, he's like the graveyard shift. Yeah. And for some reason, the graveyard shift is given the very strict instruction by his master producer uh, that he has to find uh, two hours of solid radio about ABBA, including a very personal interview. Gut-level dialogue, the producer says he wants. And I don't know why they've picked this country music. It uh, makes no sense. I mean, it's setting up a character to whom we have no connection uh, to make any sense at all, and there is no yeah. there's no effort made to uh, make him charismatic or explain the plot. He's absolutely not charismatic, he, and he 100% does not want to do this gig. So he's con- so throughout this conversation where the boss is going, I want you to get out there and have a real conversation with them. You need to interview them, and you need to really make this a heartfelt conversation. Basically, this DJ Ashley Wallace is saying, are you sure? Why yeah. me? Why don't you send someone else? Really me? And the boss keeps going, yes, I want you to do it. This is intercut with crowds shouting, we want ABBA. So it yeah. splices into that. Um, and at one point, he got the, the, the manager of the radio station says, this is going to be big. As he does, he makes a big arm gesture and the screen goes widescreen. <laughs> and I thought, oh, maybe this is going to be a fun movie. Yes, There's I some ideas that here. moment. And that was the last time I thought that. <laughs> 
Although I didn't know There are saying, moments. There are moments. We're going to talk about the moments. There are definitely moments. Let me just say, it's not a documentary. This is an event. Yes. So this is oh, yeah, not a podcast, Nick. This is an event. It is. It's true. <laughs> because he's not allowed to, to call it a documentary. He also has a time limit, which is basically where the kind of element of peril that yeah, is supposed so to be the narrative the, drive comes in. The jeopardy is supposedly... I guess he'll get fired from the graveyard shift on the country music regional radio station if he doesn't find a two-hour intimate interview with Albert at some point that he doesn't want to do. But He has to get it in by the time they leave the country. So I think he's got basically two weeks or something to, to get the interview and to get it on the radio station. It has, to be on, it has to be being broadcast as they are flying out of Australia is the stipulation. So basically, there's the peril, there's the setup, that's the narrative... But it also um, sets up the, the sort of vaguely interesting fact of ABBA's huge popularity in Australia. In Australia, which is so bizarre. And the identification of apparently the Australian population at that time with what it was that ABBA represented, which was sort yeah. of a cl- like a clean cut success, like a youthful, clean, uh, very neat success very neat as they keep saying i can't we're going to get to that bit but i love they there is a lot of repetition of the word neat in description of them so um we then go into uh so abba have arrived in australia and essentially they did this was filmed during their 1977 tour of australia yeah so the tour is real the jeopardy of the country music radio station dj is not real is not real um and this comes in at quite an interesting moment for ABBA in terms of their trajectory um, because it's, it's really at a high point in their career. 1976-1977, they were touring the world. Yeah. They were really considered to be the biggest band in the world at that point in terms of their popularity and record sales and touring and, and all of these things. Um, they also had been through a number of iterations... So, um, you know, in their early in the early days, they they uh, all of them had been either successful solo artists or had been in other bands. So both of the women in the band had been successful uh, artists in their own right, solo yeah. artists, and both the men had been in successful bands in Sweden. So they'd had they'd all had successful careers in Sweden. Yeah, um, and they they both so uh, there were marriages involved. So they. They got together, not all of them at once. Yes, Agnita, uh, the blonde one, is married to uh, Bjorn, the unbearded one. And Benny and Anna Fried or Frieda, she's known. um, They weren't married yet, but they were basically married and they were about to get married like a year or two down the line. And they, now this is the, so this is the bit I like because I always like to know about where people sort of, who are very successful having sort of moments. So they essentially, they got together and um, in the spring of uh, 1972, they had a medium hit with a, with a song called People Need Love and they just called themselves Bjorn and Benny. Ag- and Agnetha, and, and, and <laughs> Which is not the most catchy of names. Um, and they... Um, they didn't have, a, you know, they, they sort of had some success, but it wasn't, it wasn't massive. Oh, but before that, they had been known as... Something like folks, folks people something. Folks people, which means married couple. Oh, God. <laughs> or married people, essentially. And, they, and that didn't work out. So there were, there were iterations before they became ABBA. And I have to say, through this research was the first time that I realised that ABBA is all of their initials. But <laughs> <laughs> together, I never realised that before. Um, but yeah, so they, they, their first hit was through um, that they'd entered the, um, the, the festival that sort of selected the Eurovision Song Contest song with a song called Ring Ring, um, yeah. which they didn't win the festival but ring ring became a massive hit around the world or in sweden and then in other countries and around europe and stuff, yeah. yeah and then in 1974 they had entered again with waterloo which they won and then that sort of launched their careers so they i i, I it's always good uh, you know as, as struggling artists to see that um you know they they persisted and that they had different iterations before they kind of struck the success but 
around 1976, 1977 was when mm. they were kind of at their peak. Um, but but a year later, things started to kind of get more complicated yeah. because um, Bjorn and Agnetha divorced. And although that didn't mean the end of ABBA, it did sort of start to make things more complicated in terms of their image. Yeah, they, it didn't take long for them to break up after that. I think they made yeah. one more much darker album as ABBA. Mm. And there's an incredibly awkward Noel Edmonds interview with all four of them after they'd all broken up and he oh, asked really? about the rumours and they're all literally doing that thing where you sit on the sofa desperately trying not to touch each other even though Ooh. you're squished up next to each other. It's worth watch for its cringe okay. I want to know, are we gonna, I want to talk about the, because I think the, the sort of the darker late period I find really fascinating, so I want to go in on that. But at the beginning of the movie, we so we've launched this kind of quest, essentially it's a quest movie that Ashley Wallace is on, um, but we go in on a press conference, an Australian press conference um, for ABBA, and they're asked questions that are really boring and they are incredibly earnest and kind of boring but i they're found it quite so, reassuring oh they're so dull i just i just so my dull. mind is blown because they <laughs> presumably not only agreed to do this but yeah. would have it would have been at least their management company that came up with this and compared yeah. like a, a docu a documentary about a, a star now is pretty standard like on netflix there's you know the taylor swift advert and the ariana grande hour-long adverts and Lady Gaga yes. and stuff. But in that era, there would be a movie made. And when the standard, like, Hard Day's Night is set, uh, it, it, the, my mind is blown at how shit they allowed this to be and how yeah. boring they allowed they themselves to come across. And I, I just don't know if they, they didn't care or they were trying to kill it or they genuinely <laughs> are that boring because they were... There was one interesting question, um, which was about traveling and yeah. uh, how Agneta said she's tired of traveling. And I think yeah. Benny says that it's boring to travel and that it kills creativity. Yes. And that's kind of an uh, interesting insight. That's an interesting insight. And then um, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the others says, but it's incredible to be on stage. And I think we do see that duality throughout. Yeah. But, but they yes. are pretty boring off stage. There's not, they're a bit of a personality <laughs> vacuum. Uh, but also, of course, that is the premise of um, Super Trooper, the song. <laughs> I'm a personality vacuum. No, <laughs> the premise is um, all, all I do is eat and sleep and sing, wishing every show was the last show. It's basically okay. that's the lyrics of Super Trooper are essentially, God, I hate touring, but... Every um, huge artist reaches stage. a point at which their life is so um, unusual that they have to start writing about the pit, like the how shit being famous is. Which is maybe when I think they start to lose connection with their audience because people can't really relate to that i mean you know, um, i think benny then he they ask a question about how much money they're making money yeah. is another theme that comes up a lot in this film yeah it does on which they treat in a peculiar way Very but he says way. he um he says a lot of tax to pay as a swedish citizen which is important but it's most important to be happy yes um which is <laughs> well that swedish socialist system bites hard Mm -hmm. I bet it does, uh, and a lot of artists would have moved to Monaco at that point. So it's nice that he yes. is a He's solid citizen. It. Yeah, yep. they're paying it. However, every time I've been to Sweden, and this is part of the kind of slightly culty aspect of it, which yeah. I think is both great if you're born into and problematic if you're not, and move to Sweden, is that ultimately, if you are born in Sweden, you're going to have a fantastic life if you don't fuck up, and yeah. even if you do fuck up, you're going to be fine because someone's going to catch you. Because someone's going to catch you, you're going to have a great education, you're going to have a house that is designated for you, and you're going to have um, healthcare, really great healthcare. The taxes are huge, but um, if you're born into the system, then you are pretty much fine. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's just the, the difficulty becomes when people, you know, Im immigration is an issue in Sweden because. As soon as people come from outside of the system and move in there, that starts to disrupt it. So that's where it, it becomes a bit of a tricky circumstance. I was staying um, over lockdown with a Swedish girl, but she was actually a refugee from Serbia um, mm, in the 90s. And so she grew wow. up in a refugee camp in Sweden. 
And they uh, were not allowed to work while they were living in the refugee camp. And she lived there for about seven years. Wow. Um, That does not surprise me. And so the, I mean, they, they, they accepted them. Her, her mum is now incredibly a teacher of Swedish. She yeah. learned Swedish enough that she became, you know, she had the ability to become a teacher in the language that was like her third language by that point. Yeah. Um, but they, yeah, they were not allowed to access Swedish society for a lot of years. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of complexities there. For example, Sweden, I think, was really um, was really kind of a world leader in in terms of when there was a wave of um, Syrian refugees. Mm-hmm. So that you know, it, 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 it's not that it's not that there's um, necessarily, although there is obviously anti-immigration um, uh, circumstances and parties and all of those things, but. Um, I think, you know, it's not necessarily that people are adverse to, to people, to refugees or to immigrants. It's just that the system, I think, is very difficult to negotiate if you're one of those people. Um, but if you're born into it, it's amazing. This was also, um, I've got a note here. I found this quite, uh, it, it seems really obvious now, but this is because this is like 1977 and his reference talking about it's important to be happy feels yeah. incredibly modern and this... Um, emphasis yeah. on your life the the point of your life being that you were personally happy at the yes. end of it it feels very like a uh, self-actualization mantra of 2021 instagram and right. i was reading and i'm maybe it's because of what i'm reading at the moment i was reading a lionel shriver essay this week about the difference between how we used to or won in society the aim was to lead a good life and now the point is to lead the good life and the question now is like do you reach the end of your life and the main question is was I happy not like what was the effect I had or like what were the effects that the generation I leave uh, behind what happens next it's like the main moral point is my own personal happiness and this feels like a a celebrity starting that off who knows yeah that's interesting And also that is, you know, in terms of Australia in that time, Mm. probably was not something that people were hearing a lot. Yeah. So there's also this sort of message ingrained in ABBA, which is about kind of fun and fulfillment and all of these things, whereas I suspect, you know, I'm sure there were sort of lots of situations in which living in Australia in the 1970s was difficult. My uh, knowledge of uh, Australia... And their culture is a bit of a black hole, to be honest. I've been to Australia. I mean, I've been. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've been there. Yes, lo- lovely. We've been there. Now. We've been there. But I've got right. no idea, um, really, about what it yeah. what would have meant to uh, grow up there in the 70s as, like, an immigrant family or as an Aboriginal family or as someone who's been there, whose family had been there, you know, as a sort of... Uh, someone who'd been sent there for stealing a loaf of bread in Ireland in the 1800s. So we encountered then uh, some concert footage and we, we get to see them backstage. Yes, in their shit caravan. <laughs> yeah, there was, so they're waiting, they're waiting backstage to go on um, in Sydney for their first night. Yeah. And they're sort of, they, again, they just look kind of chill and... Like they're yeah. waiting to get a cup of tea from an urn. They don't really look like they're waiting to go on in front of thousands and thousands of people. 40,000 people are waiting for them, screaming yeah, for them. They're just kind of like, meh, we're just fine. We're just chilling backstage. Yeah. They're, they're in their costumes. In a, they're in, yeah, they're in not, they're in a sort of, the, the, the surroundings are not that glamorous. Mm. So they look kind of ridiculous. They're in you know, gold like, lame in a caravan yeah, and it's pissing yeah. it down with rain in Sydney, which basically doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they go on stage and I think you see the duality because suddenly they are very energetic. They're very alive. They're incredibly present. There's a sense that they are, in, uh, are happy and that they love being on stage. Yeah. And so you see so it's quite, a, it's quite an impre- incredible shift between... Just these kind of like, oh, it's like we're waiting to get money out of the bank to like, oh, we're on stage in front of 40,000 people. The costumes do that thing, which often happens where backstage things look too big and then on stage they look completely normal and fine. Um, 
And there, you know, they're just straight into it. And something that I've noticed a lot with these shows, and we looked last time at the weekend, mm-hmm. who I think is a good vocalist, but his the first song is a bit shaky when he comes on. Like you can hear a bit of shakiness in the vocals, and then yeah. it settles in. With this, they are straight into it. It sounds incredible from the first note. They are tight. The songs are perfect. They're they're really complex. These songs. Um, they, and this song, um, uh, I Am The Tiger, you know, it's it's complex, it, sh- it has shifts in it, it takes you on a journey. I just think it's, I just think they're incredible. Yeah. Are they singing live? Yes, 100%. And it yeah. sounds you know phenomenal. I, I completely agree with you because they sound way more Swedish than they do on the record. Yes, they do sound more Swedish. Yeah. 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 They, they sound more Swedish. It's not, you know, it's the vocal is not the same as the recording. Yeah. However, it sounds phenomenal. It sounds amazing. And actually, compared to some of the other um, stuff we've watched from this period, like Kate Bush and David Bowie, the film quality and the quality of the audio taken are both mm. pretty impressive. The, yeah. uh, the sort of close ups, especially of the women singing yeah. uh, for this I'm the Tiger, looks gorgeous. Oh. Their vocals are mm. genius. You know, I was watching this with Louise uh, the other night uh-huh. and I was going, oh, poor Frida. She was just as beautiful as Agnetha. And Louise said, no, she isn't. Oh. <laughs> Every, I mean, I've, again, back to these documentaries I've watched about it, they all do focus on uh, Agnetha, the blonde one, and how gorgeous she was. And yeah. in Agnetha, the documentary I watched, Anna Frida slash Frida is the only one who refused to be interviewed for it. So I don't know what their current relationship is. Oh, um, okay, probably not anyway, good. Anyway, I think they're both beautiful and they both look amazing in their gold lame, which, as and you're having right, a great time. looks great on stage. They look like they're having a brilliant time. It's they, their vocals, because those uh, melody lines are so tricky and then the harmonies are really complex. Yeah. Um, and they're just, it's effortless. It's so effortless. They they travelled with 106 people. What? Yeah. So there's what a were full they doing? Orchestra. There's a full orchestra. There's a band. There's there's backing singers as well. Yeah, like it's a, there's a lot of people on stage. I didn't catch that. I, only I mean, it's saw... not, I, when I'm saying full orchestra, it's not a full yeah. orchestra. Like yeah. it's not like a concerto orchestra, but mm-hmm. there's a big orchestra with lots of instruments in it. Yeah. Yeah, with a string section, etc. So I think this is, I just think this is amazing. And they really come on with a lot of energy. Yeah. They sort of burst onto the stage. It's really beautiful to watch, I think. And I think this is, for me, was the most exciting moment. And considering the line uh, they're towing, especially with the content that's about to come up with the interviews, mm-hmm. the line between enthusiasm, presence, and children's television presenter is on the right side. <laughs> At this moment. Yeah, yeah. Because when you bound onto the stage in a gold cloak to 40,000 yeah. children screaming yeah. and do a song like I Am The Tiger, you've got to keep it on the right side. You have. Uh, and they do for this, I think. They do. Yeah, I think so too. But then do um, an SOS after we watch What's His mm. Face, the cowboy radio DJ mumbling about something that we're supposed to care about. Yeah. Um, they go into SOS. Uh, which, again, I'm not an ABBA fan, but I knew all the words too. SOS is a great song. Oh, What's so your favourite? If you had to choose a favourite ABBA song, what would it be? Mm, I do like Voulez Vu. Yeah, it's great. How That's about you? What's song. your favourite ABBA song? I think it's Mamma Mia. Oh, Mamma Mia is good as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, they've got so many classics. <laughs> anyway, so we go into another classic, which I think is a great song. We go into Money, Money, Money. And I wanted, to, I wanted to hear if they were, tr- if the filmmakers were trolling them. I, it's, yeah, it looks like they're trolling them because there's loads of shots of Abba merch while yes. they're like it Singing cut in money, between money. them live and like touts selling tickets and them selling like Abba shit, like terrible badges, heart pillows mugs. with their faces on it, mugs, stuff that T-shirts. looks cheap. Yeah, and very much plays into this question that we've already heard them ask about how much, like the fact that they're earning millions. Yeah, so we see all these. Uh, a montage of, of ABBA merch and it, it, it obviously it's it's re- referring to the fact that this is making a huge amount of money that ABBA are massively popular and so people are buying merch on massive a massive scale um but it did feel a bit like trolling again <laughs> how much control did ABBA have of this 
film? Did they care? Yeah. Why yeah, would they, they have care? chosen to show off the fact that we're selling cheap shit for their lots fans? Of people were buy- yeah, and lots of people were buying mm. it regardless. Yeah. It's very strange. So then um, uh, the DJ, Ashley, he um, tries to get access to them because he's got to get this interview and he's stopped by their manager, who is Les from Neighbours. <laughs> is that true? Yes. So this, is a, this was a character from Neighbours, an actor who was in Neighbours for a long time. Neighbours being a long-running Australian soap opera that gave us, fortuitously, Kylie Minogue. Yeah. Less fortuously, Jason Donovan. Neighbours was such a massive factor of my school days. Oh my God, huge. It was... Twice a day so, they would show Neighbours. twice a day. It was so popular in the UK. It was insane. Oh my God, why? And it did, you know, it, it managed to launch, um, it managed to launch Kylie's career in particular. Um, you know, everyone was obsessed with Kylie for, because, for her character on Neighbours and... And I think I feel that has worked out for the world in well for the world in general. I'd like to do a Kylie gig as well. We should do a Kylie one. We could do that. I have seen Kylie live several times. So um We have a little so we, bit of we've had money. We've had yeah. Anna Freed's solo uh, being stolen by Agnita turning around and having her ass in some white. Ass. Yeah, she hands. does she does grab the moment, doesn't she? Every time Freed is a solo, she turns around. <laughs> And does a wiggle and everyone's just basically staring at this beautiful bottom yeah. yes that is true yeah. i think though that on stage i think they are quite fascinating because they're storytellers they they are they are really um expressing the songs and they're very committed to the, to what they're doing yeah um and you know it's so it's so effortless but also so complex and masterly I just think it's kind of phenomenal. And yet, also they, the as we w- said, they're so boring off stage. <laughs> the way it's filmed is that you, you get a lot of really good close-ups of the mm. performers' faces, of the B and the B and the A and the A. So you get to yeah. see uh, the sweat on their top lips and them really, really enjoying it. I think that's one of the really interesting things about being a performer is that when you're on stage, generally whatever's happening in the world, in your life, sort of disappears. And so there becomes a kind of meditative aspect to it, which is about being completely in this moment. Um, And so while offstage, I'm presuming that the troubles that they're going to have in the next few years are starting to brew. Yeah. On stage, and also they've talked about how they hate touring and that it's it's a drag and and that it, it sort of destroys their creativity on stage they are just like loving it and fully committed and it, it it does seem to be that thing about you know the sort of addictive quality of of being on stage often of being a performer is a the adrenaline but also this sort of sense that you are in this world that you've created and you're communicating that and that's what it feels like to me is happening here and that's where i think the magic happens yeah i mean they're both like they've all got kids and stuff i don't know where their kids are for their mm-hmm. Uh, presumably shelving <laughs> for the Australia gig. But yeah, uh, Agnita has at least two children by this point. Okay. Um, so I suppose this is, uh, yeah, her on stage is a moment for her to be... There is a sense, I think, that there's sort of their lives and then there's this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's pro- they're probably... Com- they're, they're, it sort of feels like they are complex individuals with lives that probably this isn't really the focus of what they do, except when they are on stage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of interesting. Um, and so Ashley is unable to get access to them. He's prevented from getting access to them several times for this interview. So he starts interviewing Australian fans. Yeah. And basically what they all say is, oh, they're really tidy. Oh, I like them because they're clean. They're so clean cut, not like other bands these days. Oh, they're much quieter than other bands at the moment. And I think that even so, a lot of the young folk like them. There's yeah. a lot of that going on. And again, how have ABBA allowed this? It makes them <laughs> seem like the lamest for It really people. does. Especially, it, they do not need to be doing this. It really does. This, what you want is people going, oh, they speak to me about life. They, they energise me. They make me feel like I want to get out there and be the best me I can be. Instead, what we get is, oh, oh they're simple. really tidy. I love their music. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing like that. I love the tune. I love the lyrics. Nothing. Yeah. Oh, they're quite tidy. They look really tidy on stage. And Unless tidy cut. is an Australian 70s slang that we're not understanding. Should have Googled that. I think it just means tidy. I think it just means tidy as well. <laughs> um, so um, Ashley finally tracks them down and he is backstage. He manages to get backstage and gets close to them. He gets... Um, he gets, they're in a dressing room, he gets basically next to their dressing room, where it's become like something from a folk horror. So they are doing kind of umpa folk music. There are clowns, they're dressed oh, yeah. in Suddenly, kind of hat, weird a, hats. There's like a French it, mime. There's a French mime, they're playing kind of strange folk music, they're kind of having a lovely time in this dressing room. Uh And I suddenly felt like, is this going to take a turn? And at this point, are we going to discover that this was a plan to lure him willingly to his own sacrifice? Is this what's going to happen? definitely a horror film vibe going on about him. There's something I thought he would end up killing one of them. Because there's no... um, He doesn't have any uh, characteristics to make you warm to him at all. And he does... As he chases them, he's now in Perth. He's chasing from Sydney to Perth. He's yeah. got very much a stalker. He does I, look like a serial I killer. hate you. He's already said he doesn't like them. I hate you. I'm going to be driven to some sort of crime yes. in a hotel. And he needs to get this for unspecified reasons that maybe he's going to get sacked, but that was not made clear. Yeah, not trying. Not clear. So, um... He's rumbled again by Les from Neighbours, mm-hmm. and he's thrown out. He keeps getting rumbled. He goes. God, this to happens his sad... over and over again. The drama. Yeah. I yeah. don't know who. Wrote said, this. He gets close. It's a lot of. There's a lot of kind of close calls. Mm-hmm. So then he goes back to his home hotel room, feeling sad and concerned that he's not going to be able to make this happen. He seems yeah. to now that in the character development, it seems that now it's more. It's become a personal quest, and that he really is yearning to get close to them, not just because of. <laughs> the demands of his manager and so now we have a dream sequence which i think is the highlight of the movie and let me tell you why number one we go we discover them they're all dressed in white it's very much super like a culty. Cult. Oh, it's totally it. culty and i am there for that he if i mean if we want to do a freudian a close freudian analysis of this dream sequence which i think yeah. is what it's basically ushering um, he is holding a microphone in the most phallic way possible. Essentially, it does sound feel like the director has gone, just hold it like a dick. Yeah. Do it like that. So essentially, the microphone is offered to them, it is, um, because now he has become sort of part of ABBA in this dream. Essentially, yes. they are delighted to see him. Um, he, they, are, they want to revel with him. They also want to do this interview What's the song? Tell me doing? why you like this, Nick. Because for me, it's incredibly misogynistic. I'm <laughs> not saying in, it's in not every misogynistic. Sequence, the two women of Abba have somehow agreed to be on their knees in front yes. of him. And again, yes, once well, again, I ask the question: Why have they agreed to this? So that's the flip side: is that ultimately, like, it's very phallic. The, the suggestion is that there's going to be a threesome. A strong. He kisses Frida twice. Yeah. So there's a lot of kind of like they're writhing all over him. They're essentially giving him a bit of a lap dance. They're always on their knees. There are multiple scenes the knees. of the, when they're all on the knees the, and the men are walking, They do walk through through the countryside in happily being interviewed by him as well. They ride a horse. Someone they hugs a chicken. A there's some well, golf. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is brandishing his phallic microphone in their faces. Yeah. And then there's a very homoerotic cowboy bar moment with Ooh, all the, with the male bar. aspects yeah. of Abba. Mm-hmm. Um, where they're in a cowboy bar, all yeah. dressed as cowboys, and for some reason that element is not part of the sexual, or they don't seem to realise that there clearly is a crossover. But anyway, yeah. it becomes very homoerotic as well. And Name of the Game is the track that's playing in the background, so it's sort of a music video. Um, yeah, it's a kind of a weird, well, it's a sort of dream sequency music video. Everything's very soft focus. Um, there's a weird dinner party. Essentially, <laughs> the it's... dinner party, I forgot. <laughs> the dinner party in the dream sequence, the Ashley, our um, country music radio DJ, walks into the room. Abba are all there and they just applaud him entering the They just the room. applaud him as he walks in and they're yeah. all having a lovely time. Mm-hmm. And the sense is that it is a polyamorous cult. Yes. And then and he I'm wakes up. 
And then he wakes up sad because none of that happened. Yeah. And he's claiming, he wakes up to a call to, from his producer um, and he says he has to tag along to Adelaide with ABBA, but he knows them quite well, um, but they have nice. to have confidence in me. Lots, uh, so yes, it's sort lots. of a classic, I think I've seen, you know, this is sort of like a, uh, it's sort of like almost famous, the film, apart from he's a uh-huh. grown man rather than a child and he isn't invited along so much as unsuccessfully stalking them. Yeah. So and then, also, it's very boring. <laughs> so then we go into Dancing Queen. Yes, which is surely, amazing. Surely, this is the finale. It's not, but <laughs> it's great. Dancing Queen's amazing. They are even more glammed up for it. I mm-hmm. presuming there was costume changes. Yeah. Um, they look incredible. They're loving it. Dancing Queen is an amazing song. The audience are going yeah. crazy. I think this is brilliant. And then he bumps into them in a lift. Oh, uh, he's I mean, managed to get backstage again. You're skipping on. You're skipping a lot of repetition of things. I'm just like, skipping forwards. Oh my god, you're <laughs> skipping forwards. We have m- multiple interviews with children uh-huh. saying why they love ABBA. There's m- <laughs> we go back and forth between uh, ABBA on stage and children saying why they love ABBA before we get to the point where he bumps any, into the lift. And I have, have to quote? say. It's like 45 minutes that we've just (laughs) skipped here of montage of him chasing them around, interviews with children. And And what sort of things do the children say? The children, oh God. There's quite a Wes Anderson, the nice shot of a children's dance school, all singing Mm. and dancing out of time to ABBA in the sort of bright teal outfits. There's, oh, well, there's an interview with an academic, they go back and forth, who also says that they're clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, like, lots of shots of him looking stressed and cutting up interview tapes. There's oh, there's an eight-year-old child saying they look sexy. Um, <laughs> and the other children are laughing. But then, basically, that just is a full 45-minute montage until the point that you're at now, which is where he okay, bumps so into the lift. I may well have skipped ahead. <laughs> From Dancing Queen. Let me tell Queen. you, it was a good idea. <laughs> yes. I think I was like, okay, Dancing Queen, I'm just going to skip to near the end. Which is, yeah. So that's what happened. So we get to a, a basically a very strange lips, lift sequence where the lift doors randomly open and Abba mm. are inside. He gets into the lift and says, oh, can I have an interview? They say yes. The doors close, and then we go into this weird psychedelic lift scene. Yeah. Um, which is sort so, of a, more like a music video. So, we, again, we've been building to this. Uh, it's hard to tell from the skipping that we've done, <laughs> but we've been building to this moment for nearly an hour and a half by now. He's been chasing them around. <laughs> he's, he's just missed the final moment he thought he would get an interview with them at, like, 10 in the morning in a hotel. And he gets into this lift by pure happenstance. The lift closes. We see nothing of the interview. And then there's the psychedelic music video. The lift opens and he says, fantastic, have a nice trip home. (laughs) Yes, because I thought that clearly the pinnacle of this movie, like obviously the crescendo that they were building up to was that there was going to be a fascinating in-depth interview with Abba, which is what has been touted all the way through. And that's the bit that they don't show. Yeah. It was, um, and then (laughs) on top of that, um, you don't see the fascinating in-depth personal interview with Abba and then yeah. you think, ah, perhaps there'll be Jeopardy because he obviously it's the 70s and there's only one tape and he's fiddling with long reels of tape and he's in yeah. a taxi driver and, and he's in a taxi trying to get the, the tape to the radio station and the taxi driver is bitching about Abba and how <laughs> they're supposed to be clean but actually they're showing off their asses and I don't think that's right in front of my wife and kids. <laughs> I mean, I'm a hot-blooded man. I quite admired it, but, you know, you can't do that in front of the kids or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then you're like, oh, maybe the jeopardy is he won't get the tape to the radio station. Yes. But then he does, he does. the end. <laughs> yeah, he does. It goes on air. He goes, are we on air? They go, yes. He goes, phew. And would, you like to know, would you like to know my final note? Yes, please. Honestly, this was so shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I think that sums it up. It is not a good film, but it does end with thank you for the music. It does, and they're back in the they're back in the studio, or, or not back in the studio. We haven't seen them in the studio before, but it's um, it's the guys and the gals of ABBA in the recording studio, and there's a weird look between Frida and the guys. 
there's a record. She's singing, and then she looks at them in this incredibly loaded way, uh, and then well, it comes back to is, them having fun. And I just I don't know what that means. That is probably a precursor to her living on her own on an isolated island. Oh no no no! So that's Agneta. Agneta is the one that lived on her own on the isolated island. Oh. Frida looks weird at them. Frida actually mm. married a Swedish prince. And then mm-hmm. when he died, she married an English aristocrat who she's still married to. So oh. she's got a royal tastes. She's got royal tastes. Apart from Benny. <laughs> yes. Interesting. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so you're right. It, Thank it, you for the music. Quite... And then, then, so they're in the studio and then they're back on stage. And there's like yeah. loads of people on stage, including the fucking French mime man. <laughs> yes. And thank you for the music, obviously, I'm sure is the song is that they ended every single performance with that they ever uh-huh. did, I would imagine, because it sort of lends itself to that. So obviously, this is the that's the song that they're going to end with. But it makes sense. And I was happy to hear it because I do like that song. Yeah, um, who doesn't? It, it makes sense, you know, in that moment. Um, <laughs> but really, we, yeah, nothing, I feel like the journey was not satisfying. I hated this i felt cheated <laughs> i was confused as to their agreement in the participation <laughs> I, I i'm baffled uh, um <laughs> is my final note baffled. however i was interested in the duality of them off stage and on stage i thought that was really interesting and i think the fact that a year later two years later things had changed considerably and that the dynamics within the band had changed and that their their sort of domination as a as a band and as a cultural figure was starting to come to an end yeah Uh, what what are your thoughts on the kind of the the dark shift in ABBA and what sort of happened next do you feel like for example it was Agnetha who ended up on the island yeah yeah. Do you feel like Agnetha was sort of uh, was a was a victim of of the success, or that it broke her, or the, the documentary that she, uh, I watched about her? She does say that, uh, disappointingly, a lot of the recluse stuff is exaggerated, and it just so uh-huh. happened that she was just she had kids and she was done with work for a while, and uh-huh. she bought, as you say a lot of Stockholmers islands and she could afford yes. a private island. And so yeah. it is sort of kind of massively exaggerated the, the extent to which she was a recluse and the extent to which uh-huh. she just did not want to engage with the press, which seems right, right, totally right, right. fair enough. Yeah, which does um, seem fair enough. But she also, um, in that documentary, her, Benny and Bjorn speak about their proudest uh, moments being the songs which are written about the breakups that are happening. Interesting. Um, I, God, I don't know what it's called. Not knowing me, knowing you. No, but knowing me, knowing you is one of them. Yeah. But there's one where the video. I mean, a lot of the videos of their faces moving around, but it's a sadder song, uh, basically about leaving each other. And they yes. all agreed that they were the. That was the one they were the most proud about, and that was the ones that they felt were the most um, sort of emotionally effective for other people as well. Interesting. How about you? Are you do you feel haunted by? Have his dark past. You're a... <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do. No, not really. I think that you know their legacy is much more about the point at which they were famous, mm-hmm. um, and you know, particularly the two men. They went on to just kind of they moved quite seamlessly into a different career, which was more to do with musicals. Yeah. Um, I think for the two women, you know, unsurprisingly, it was perhaps a little bit more rocky. Although um, Frida has gone on to have a successful solo career and Agnetha has had, you know, she's had a solo career. (laughs) So, (laughs) so they... With Gary Barlow. With Gary Barlow. So they, you know, they they did go on to do other things. Um, I would imagine that being that famous and, you know, also being, trying to navigate relationships and and all of those Mm. things, I can, I can imagine that it would just be something that would break you to an extent i don't think that it would be easy to navigate that it might also be the fact that the of being the songwriters or being the the people because the women were the front of the band i would have i mean from what you see received the most of the attention especially about the way they looked um whereas agnita and frida were songwriters and according to these uh 
according to the documentaries, like Benny and Bjorn really tried to encourage them or like really wanted them to keep writing. But Agneta said that she was so self-conscious uh-huh. about putting her songs forward that she just sort of basically stopped that process. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the face of Benny and Bjorn's mighty songwriting talent. Yeah, and it must, be, it must be a, a, so, so exhausting that it would, you know, and obviously they just hated the touring. Yeah. So I'm sure that would be a, a factor in the sort of the downfall of the of the whole thing. But yeah. Um, yeah, so having seen this film, I don't feel that my kind of appreciation of ABBA is, is any different or affected, but it is an awful film. <laughs> <laughs> that I would not in any way encourage anyone to watch. But, but if you would like to watch along. Ah! <laughs> but there is clips from the, um, the the concert footage available on YouTube. It's just not the whole thing isn't available. And I think it is worth, if you are interested in ABBA, I think it is worth checking in on those because they are incredible performers and amazing musicians. And yeah. it does give you a different angle on them if you haven't sort of seen them performing live in concert before. So I would encourage that just not the film <laughs> <laughs> and on that note thank you so much for uh, joining us for another gig it up um it's been a pleasure spending some time with you uh and you nick obviously and if you want to follow us on instagram we're gig it up podcast and gig it up podcast on facebook as well um, <laughs> yes and please 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 do leave a lovely five star um rating on apple podcasts or a lovely review because it really helps us out and we would appreciate that massively and also it'd be just lovely to know what you think so um if you would like more tips about what to do if your hands smell like onions (laughs) (laughs) oh we do wait a second sorry we didn't do the um the rider we didn't do the we didn't do the rider reveal which is from this tour we love to end with the rider reveal um so their stylist ingmarie Listed their list of demands, which included rum, champagne, and whiskey. So two bottles of French dry champagne, well chilled. Two bottles of Perrier water. Johnny Walker Black Label. Negrita rum. Um, half a bottle of ten... Uh, sorry, a half bottle of ten bottles of Coca-Cola, whatever that means. Tea, coffee, milk, lemon, sugar, cups, glasses, and spoons. So there we go. Pretty basic. No draping. No draping. Just fill the caravan with champagne. Yeah, perfect. I mean, I'd be down with that. Yeah, me too. Yes. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we will be back with another Gig It Up uh, whenever we can get together to do one. Very soon. Very soon. All right, take care. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.